In the future, roving bands of comic book podcasts will savage the wasteland, once known as the internet. One podcast, the Grawlix podcast, may not be the biggest, may not be the funniest, may not be the most well-spoken. Wait, what was my point again? Oh yes, the Grawlix podcast. Listen to it at GrawlixPodcast.com. That's G-R-A-W-L-I-X podcast.com. Hey everybody, this is Leonardo of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to Bull Spit with Moose. Cowabunga! Hey there, Mooseback Moose here. Just wanted to let you know that if the energy level sounds a little off in this episode, it's because at the time of recording, I had COVID. But you know what they say, the show must go on. There's a lot of good stuff in this episode, so enjoy the show. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bull spit. <laughs> episode of Bull Spit with Moose. I'm your host, Moose. My guest today is, well, he's been lost. He's been an agent for the other side. He's been a great many things, including Shredder. Please welcome Mr. Francois Chow. Hey, everyone. So, how's life treating you? I'm pretty lucky because it's, it's, uh, life is treating pretty well. well that's good. And, yeah, like I mentioned, you have a very long career. I mean, going back to, you you, you were quick at yeah. G.I. Joe. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, that was my, uh, that was my first gig when I got to L.A. in, uh, man, 1984, I think it was, uh, I got lucky enough to, to get that, that job. And, uh, since then it's just been, uh, you know, keeping my fingers crossed. Well, was acting something you always wanted to do or is it just as you got out of high school, out of college, it was like, okay, I want to be an actor. Yeah. I think pretty much, uh, pretty much middle of high school. I started, I was getting interested in, in, in doing theater and, uh, to, um, I got a BFA in, in theater and acting in college. And then when I graduated, I, uh, I went to college back, uh, on the East coast. And once I graduated, I, I spent like a year doing a lot of theater. And then I, um, I know I wanted to do film and TV. So I packed up my stuff and then headed out to LA. Like I said, you were, you were in a lot of projects. There, there's been a couple times where you've dipped your toe into the DC comics universe. Mm -hmm. Most recently you were in birds of prey and back in the nineties, you were on the flash TV series. So, I mean, you're, I remember that you're kind of all over the place in getting into many fandoms. (laughs) Uh, do, Do you get recognized a lot? for the multiple like fandoms that you've been in or is it just you know lost turtles and then with the with i would say the younger crowd like casey undercover um i would say uh it's amazing that uh i still 
get for uh, the Ninja Turtles movie being Shredder. Uh, I have a lot of uh, middle-aged guys coming up to me saying, oh my God, I loved you as the Shredder when I was, you know, <laughs> when I was uh, 10 to 12 years old and uh, it was great. And I'm going, oh, uh, thanks for making me feel like really old right now. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> and I do get once in a while recognition from the younger kids for KC Undercover and uh, some other stuff. Um, watch TV in the last, well, I don't know what, 30, 35 years, uh, You'll see me pop somewhere sooner or later and all sorts of different things. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm rewatching Stargate right now and yeah. popped up as the uh, Chinese ambassador on an episode. There you go. And right, right. Yeah, I'm supposed to, my, my 14-year-old wanted me to relay a message about how much she loves Stargate and was happy to see you on there. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of Stargate. I, the original Stargate. I watched a little bit of Atlantis, um, and then uh, I watched uh, the last one, Stargate Universe. Oh yeah, it's yeah. It's funny. It's like I'm just watching the episodes. I'm like, hey, <laughs> there he is again. Yeah, <laughs> like the guy that just pops up and everything. Most of the time, I'm the bad guy. So. If you see some episodic where there's, you know, a drug lord or something, you'll see me pop up. You play a good bad guy. Yeah, for some reason. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, it's uh, it's gotten me a bad guy. <laughs> well, I've, I've mentioned on episodes before that I, I find it hard to play a convincing bad guy. You know, almost everyone can play the good guy, you know, where it's... right. Oh, you know, everyone believes that person's a good guy, but to play mm -hmm. a believable bad guy takes a little bit more oomph. One of the best examples is uh, Michael DeBars from the original MacGyver. When he played Murdoch, mm -hmm. he came across right. as a bad guy. You know, he came across mm -hmm. as psychotic. He came across as right. just you didn't know what was going to happen. So mm -hmm. you bought into that as a viewer, as a fan. And right. so it's one of those getting almost pigeonholed as a bad guy can be a good thing. If mm -hmm. you're really good at playing the bad guy. And that leads oh, me yeah. to your role on Casey undercover. That's kind of the role you had on that show. You had like the kid version of Murdoch where yeah. they couldn't get yeah. rid of you. You kept coming back. Every time they thought you were gone, <laughs> you came back <laughs> and it's just like, huh? You know, it, it's that like the family friendly version of Murdoch just without the psychoses. Right. Right. Well, you know, um, every good bad guy, uh, of course, you never think of yourself, hey, hey, I'm the bad guy, so I got to act this way or that way. You, most of us, we think of ourselves as, hey, I'm going to do so. I'm going to do it, and uh, someone in somebody or somebody's in my way. I'm just going to figure out how to get rid of them or whatever. But uh, you can't ever think of yourself as, oh, in this in this thing, I guess I'm the bad guy, so I got to act a certain way. It's just you know, if you if you look at the big picture, you go, oh yeah, he's not he's not good. But when you you 
narrow it down uh, as the as the character you you can't ever say hey i'm just i'm gonna be bad just for the sake of being the bad guy right yeah you you, you never think of yourself as that you know one of your more recent roles you're, you're walter on the tick and again that's another one of those just fan favorite products that people just glom onto. what was that like getting into the the tick universe i have to say that um i have waited 30 35 years for walter to come along because he is my favorite character ever and maybe it's because you know i got <laughs> i got so used to oh my god here's a character that's just a regular sort of a really nice sort of just schlubby nerdy guy who who's uh who's just totally earnest uh, there's no, you know, it's like, uh, oh, well, at least he starts out that way. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, uh, one of those, uh, as an actor, you know, there are certain roles that you go, oh, wow, uh, fits you pretty well for Walter, uh, is felt, uh, effortless, you know, this is, this is who I am. And, uh, uh, you just I kind of just walk into the into his skin and it's just it was it was just one of those things where I go man uh you know thank god that Walter came because uh you know uh, also being uh an actor uh, actor of color the roles we get we get are not three-dimensional so for Walter for me and Walter Walter was just just a great guy just a great great and if you watch the tick the first season and then the second season you see the, that you know there's a little bit more behind him than i i have to say that uh, of all the stuff that i and walter is my personal favorite well yeah i mean you get to like you said it's more of a human down-to-earth role it's not this like extravagant character he's not Right. You know, he he's not Shredder. He's not the leader of the yeah. secret organization. He's just some guy, you know, and you can kind of go in and be yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's uh that for me is usually a lot harder to do than, you know, a Shredder or or some, you know, or or, or uh, uh, Zane from Casey on the cover kind of thing because uh, characters are so far away from me that uh, you kind of have uh, you know the, the opportunity to just go all out whereas uh, it's so close to me that uh, sometimes it's it's putting yourself up you know you, you you think oh a lot of people think oh he, you know he's an actor he can do it's it's, it's it must be so much fun to do all these other roles where you can be and whatever and that's true but uh at least for me personally a lot of times it's just bring it down and make it real and not not push it all the time i guess that's that's the best way to put it i'm, I'm not quite articulate enough to message across but well no i i think i get what you're saying it's when when you get to play roles that are closer to who you are you're in your comfort zone right and yeah, you, you don't have to worry about. Well, am I overdoing this? Am I underselling this? You know, you can just go out and hit. You know, hit your mark, and you got it. 
Whereas if you're playing somebody like the Shredder, it's he's this big, boisterous villain. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, you know, a big, boisterous type person, you have to oversell a lot. And Mm -hmm. then you have to find the line of what's too much of an oversell. Without, you know, how do I yeah. oversell just enough to not make it campy? Mm-hmm. The comfort zone ones are probably the most desired roles. Yeah, they are the most desired roles. Just personally for me, and I think for quite a few other actors, um, it's a lot easier to do a shredder than it is one that's really close to you because... Uh, you know, we, uh, it's like when you have someone who's really that's close to you, you can't hide behind anything, right? You gotta, you gotta put yourself into it. If you're doing a shredder, obviously that's a character that's, that's, you know, that's way out there. And then you can just, that's not you. And it's easier to go, Hey, uh, in this, this great part. And, um, I guess I'm saying is, uh, most people would not think, oh, actors, they're outgoing and they're very, uh, you know, this and that. And I think a lot of us are pretty much are very shy about showing ourselves. And that's why when the character is a lot different from us, sometimes it's a lot easier to do. I can see that. that there's, and that's the same yeah. reason I have the difference between Paul and Moose. You know, Moose is my right. You know, public character, as it were. Yeah, yeah. You know, and boiled down, they're essentially the same person, but... Yeah, with with Moose, it's a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more kind of like boisterous persona. Whereas, you know, at home I'm Paul. I'm a little bit more reserved. Right. It, it, it's everything's a little closer to the vest. You know, it, it's all a matter of the masks you put on, and exactly the the better the mask, I, I guess the easier it would be to lose yourself in a role. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that takes us back to the difference between, let's say, Shredder and Zane. You know, it, yeah, with exactly. Shredder, yeah. you're fully costumed, top to bottom. Zane, mm-hmm. it's you in a suit. What was the, uh, like, preparation like for playing the Zane character? Because there, there's no hiding I mean, I'm not saying you're hiding in Shredder, but in that metaphorical hiding, you're you're exposed. You're there as Zane, the yeah. bad guy, yeah. just in mm-hmm. a three piece suit. So, right. right. Um, in terms of prep, like I say, it's um, I've kind of uh, had to think about uh, with Zane was that it's. Uh, it's a Disney show for kids. And if you watch a lot of them, there's a certain tone that, uh, that they have, you know, uh, some would say that it's a little over the top maybe, but uh, sometimes it's not or whatever. There's a, there's a little, there's a difference between watching like a Casey undercover and, and Grey's Anatomy or something, some, some episodic show on TV that's more realistic based. Right. 
So for the Disney shows, everything you do real has to be, you know, you can't, you can't fake it. You can't say, oh, I'm acting this way or that way. Uh, but you, you have kind of put a, you turned a switch on where you, this is a certain tone that you have to, um, to adopt, even though you have to keep it real, you know, it's like a little push to it that, uh, that the show has that you have to, to match. You can't be, you know, as Zane, you have to just kind of push it out there a little more. Uh, the same, actually, it's the same with the shredder, you know, it's basically, it's a live cartoon. So again, everything you do has to be grounded in reality, but still on the project, you just have to kind of match the tone of what you do, uh, of what it, what it needs. There was a, another one I wanted to ask you about, cause I don't, I haven't run into this yet in my interviews. You've worked on, you've, you've guest spotted on both MacGyver series. Yes. You guest spotted on the original series. What was it like returning to the new production all those years later and doing another guest spot with, you know, the same, I know it's the same creative crew, but essentially this right. new yeah, universe. Yeah. Right. Uh, it was it was it was fun. I think actually I took a picture of myself from the uh, MacGyver and then I put it next to a picture of myself in the new MacGyver and obviously gotten a lot older. And uh, I posted it saying, hey, I got older and MacGyver got younger. What's up with that? <laughs> and I posted uh, it's been 29 years in between shows. From the from the guest star on that on the original MacGyver to the guest star on the the reboot, and um, uh, I think there's only a couple other actors who who could beat that record of of doing the same series and uh, and how many years apart that they, they were on. No, it's crazy. I mean, guest spot on both shows. That's a testament, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun, but it was still, you know, it's it's. Um, it's almost like, uh, I mean, it was the same uh, kind of production, uh, the same executive producers, pretty much. But you know, uh, everything changes with the times. It's just we're we're in a whole different era now. And I think uh, I've watched some of the old movies, and you know, some of it still holds up. But some of it is, you go, wow, that's you know, things have changed so much, so fast that uh, you just go, wow, that's that's really dated. What what he's doing there? I mean. Probably the stuff that he, he MacGyver's original show uh, today probably doesn't look as, as maybe as impressive as it did then. <laughs> right? See, I think most of the original series holds up except for the season that was set hardcore in the 80s. It was like the afternoon special season. Right. That right. one's really dated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, that's the season where the guest stars that he had on that season were like Christopher Judge and Don S. Davis, yeah. who later went on to work with him on Stargate. So, right, I mean, right. you know, it's kind of good with the bad. Yeah. 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 The, the new one is definitely it fits with the time and they found a way to yeah. put MacGyver in the modern world and still keep mm -hmm. with, you know, the macgyver mantra as it were yeah you were also on the i don't want to say smash hit because it wasn't a smash it was the show that took over everybody's psyche 
that was lost just enveloped everybody's like waking moment like trying to put together these little puzzle pieces that may or may not have been there you know it, it was now admittedly i didn't watch it when it was on because i was working two jobs and going to school but you know going back watching it now having seen what everybody went through watching the show it mm-hmm. it astounds me that everyone was looking for these little clues and just trying to piece together things it's like yeah just watch the show just sit back yeah. watch the there show and let it play out yeah well there's the uh, there's the two camps right there's the camp of like you say just dig for every little what does this mean or when they with this episode what does that mean and how is that set up later? Da, da, da. And that's they love that stuff, and that's that's great. And then there's the other camp of, you know, hey, watch the show, let it just wash over you, and and enjoy it, and uh, you know, uh, get what you get out of it. I think, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, been a lot of talk about some people. I, I guess the camp that wanted all clues to be resolved. Uh, were not very happy in the camp where you just watch the show and and whatever happens happens and you know that camp was pretty happy with the finale I think um, it, it's funny I had a I have a friend who uh, was really into it and uh, he at the after the finale he he <laughs> I talked to him and he's like God damn you know I just wasted five years of my life watching this show. Oh, and I didn't get at the end kind of thing. <laughs> and I have, I know other people who said, oh, oh, man, it was great kind of thing. So, uh, um, you know, it is, though, it's a great uh, show to binge. It is. Because you can watch, if you want to, you can be episodes at a time. And you kind of uh, remember what's going on. I was watching it originally. You know, every week I would have to pay attention to the recap from the last week because you go, oh, wait a minute, what happened here? What happened there? And the, the recaps of the show really, <laughs> you know, you, you forget from last, from one week to the next of what's happening. Whereas now, if you, if you just, you can sit there and just watch it for however long and one right after another, you can, you know, and I think you might get a little more out of it than the, Oh yeah. Cause you, you don't have that. Like you said, that week to, let everything dissipate it's it's right there it's fresh yeah. in your head and especially yeah. the camp where they're really picking apart every little clue you binge watch yeah. it now yeah. and you're right on to the next episode and you're right you're looking man i mean it's yeah even knowing how the series ends there are still people that are tearing this thing apart looking at every single clue i mean this is still a phenomenon and it it's mind-boggling that this show carries that much weight yeah it's uh you know the very few shows that can capture the, whatever that, that lightning in a bottle kind of thing because uh everything has a just perfect storm of of things coming together that uh uh, you know, who knows? Maybe if the show had aired, you know, had, had aired uh, 
a year before or a year after, you know, maybe it wouldn't have gotten the same response. You never know. Um, I, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't start watching it until I think the third season, I guess. Uh, I watched the, uh, the, the pilot. I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun, but then I had other things to do and I didn't, uh, it didn't capture my attention. And then once I got cast, uh, a lot of fans would, uh, come up to me and start asking me questions, ones who want every little detail of what's going on, right? <laughs> would ask me questions about, hey, you know, in this episode, uh, when they said this, or when this happened in this episode, what did that, I was like, well, you know, <laughs> I haven't watched it. So after a while of getting figured, oh, you know what, I better start watching this uh, just to, so I can at least know what I'm talking about when people ask me questions. And once I started watching it, boy, I could see how people got hooked because the writing I thought was really, really great. You really got got hooked into the to, to the characters, right? You just you watch it and you go, just uh, you, it just kind of pulls you in, pulls you along. And I, I think that's why the show was was because uh, yeah, like you say, it, it was a huge hit at the time, but it was still it was a little more than it was sort of just like other shows where I think um, it's gonna even though it's been over for 10 years, it's still a lot of fans out there who are still still hooked into it. Well, and it finds new fans every few years. Like, it, yeah. it seems to... Yeah, exactly. You, you catch people who just discovered Lost or stuff like this, mm -hmm. and they start to go down the rabbit hole. And they take people right. that have right. never seen it down the rabbit hole. So it's attracting new fans... And it, it's fun sitting yeah. back and watching the new fans go through the same thing that right. everybody else did when the show first aired. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it's just amusing that, you know, the show has that kind of staying power. I think these days uh, Lost may have been... Now, uh, one shows that uh, garnered that kind of fandom, but it feels like these days there are more and more shows that uh, uh, have that sort of following. I don't know if it's because the streaming is the binging, or or I mean, and then there's a lot of uh, of these comic cons now where the shows um, where the fans show up to meet the the. The Ackworth, but uh, there's a lot of sh there, there are a bunch of shows now that have a pretty rabid following of, of fans that will, it may be not a huge worldwide thing, but uh, there's a there's a core of, of fans that will keep the show going kind of thing. Uh, I, one example, I guess, is uh, kind of tooting my own horn here, but uh, there's a there's a sci-fi show that's uh, going. There's the fifth season now is showing on Amazon. And uh, like I say, it's not a big, you know, it's not like a big, huge hit like Lost was, but there's a, there's a, just a rabid following of, of fans that, that sort of push that show uh, out there. Like I say, it's not the only, the only show that's doing, uh, there's a bunch of other, I guess mostly kind of sci-fi uh, stuff that's, uh, that's uh, getting these, these, uh, these fans. Um, and it, it's like I say, it's the binging, and it's also a lot of uh, social media stuff that's that's keeping it out there. That's the you know uh, the uh, 
on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. It's just uh, you get these fans who come together and and they it's it just keeps everything going. It's you know it's it's there where um, I think Lost might have been like one of those that that started this whole thing of fans just following it, every little thing that they can they can get their their hands on going down that rabbit hole as you say. Oh yeah, and you know to touch on what you said, you know, yeah, we're in an age where you can instantly reach out and find other people that are interested in the thing you're interested in. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not like first generation Star Trek, where if you were a Star Trek fan, there might be one or two on the same street and that's who you got to talk to. Now, if you're a Star right. Trek fan and you're living in the United States, you could be talking to a Star Trek fan in the UK or Africa mm-hmm. or, you know, anywhere around the world and be talking about what you thought of the most recent movie or show or something like that and sharing your fan theories mm-hmm. and just the worldwide fan communities and the ability to do that mm-hmm. is amazing and i think you're right that really helps drive these uh shows and the longevity of these shows even after they're off the air i mean you know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I use stargate as an example because they have a huge online and in-person uh fan community mm-hmm you know, they have Stargate conventions and yeah. it, it, it just, you know, it, it slays me that we, we've gotten to the point where all these shows that at one point, you know, the, the sci-fi community was almost shunned, if it, as it were, takes up the majority right. of pop culture now. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing for me because I'm I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, and uh, you know, original Star Trek. Don't even don't get me started. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, it's so it's so great that you like with the internet, the world is so much smaller now. The distance is is not what matters anymore. It's amazing how how much uh, how much uh, you know. And for the sci-fi fans, I think it's been just a big a huge boom because like you say it wasn't that long ago where you know sci-fi was not except was like yeah that's just a bunch of those uh kind of kooky people who love that stuff and now it's you know it's like you know we're it's almost like they're the the, the majority now as opposed to other stuff right well, yeah it's almost cool to be a, it's like it's almost cool to be a sci-fi uh fan and yeah yeah, it, it's interesting to see how that's all progressed over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope it keeps going because, uh, you know, the more interested there are, the more stuff that they'll, they'll the more shows the, they'll generate that, uh, you know, who knows? It could be another Lost out there somewhere coming up soon. Before we move on to talking about Shredder, I want to touch back on something you mentioned earlier. You you had mentioned the uh, one-dimensional aspect of the roles you get as a person of color. Mm-hmm. Does that 
ever get annoying at all, or do you just kind of grin and bear it? Because, I mean, you get, like, in your case, there's, you know, Vietnamese man, or, you know, like, Chinese thug, or, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, as a viewer, you kind of think that's asinine. How does the actor uh, take that? I mean... Well, I would say that, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but uh, uh, it's just certain, you kind of like uh, block off certain sections of your brain, I guess. You know, on the one hand, the roles that I I get, I guess, because it's like self-fulfilling. If you're good at being the bad guy, producers, casting people, whatever, they're, they're going to go, oh, wait, hey, that guy's, let's get that guy. He's good at it, right? So it kind of keeps you, keeps going. It's it's, it's that uh, um, typecasting thing that a lot of actors are always saying, oh, I don't want to be typecasted as this or that. I want to be, you know, prove myself. Well, <clears throat> in terms of practical sense, you know, being typecast is pretty good because you'll get a lot more work than uh than, than otherwise. Um, so, in one, at some point, uh, it does annoy me to a certain degree that the, the roles aren't, uh, they're, they're, they're practically the same. It's just that you just, you got a different name and you, you got a different wardrobe, but it's kind of the same person, especially for TV stuff, especially for episodic TV, uh, where, you know, the, used to be back in the, I would say maybe the 90s was when it started to to die out. But before that, every episodic uh, show on TV, whether it be, uh, you know, always a cop show or the detective show or the, the, the lawyer show or whatever, every show would always have in, in, in their season the... Uh, Chinatown episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, hey, who's going to be working in this episode? You know, who's going to get a chance to work this episode where there's a there's a bunch more uh, roles for for Chinese American actors or, or Asian American actors, you know, any kind, right? Uh, and they always want the same thing. I remember uh, doing, of course, doing a lot of uh, the bad guys, the drug lord stuff, and. Uh, a bunch of them, you know, I would get on set and and, uh, we'd rehearse and then I would ask, you know, talk to the director. I said, hey, you know what, this this character is pretty much, I could do this in my sleep the way it's been done. You know, why is he always being so, uh, you know, like the bad guy? Why is he always so, such an asshole and so forth? I said, I think the character could be doing the same thing, but he could be very you know, friendly and charming and so forth. And let can we try it this way or let's try it this way. And usually it comes down to the director will go, yeah, I know you're right, but you know, this is what they want. This is what the producers want because this is what the producers think the, the audience wants, which is your stock, you know, bad guy character. As soon as you appear on screen, uh, people have to see, oh, that's, that's, you know, there's the, there's the good guy. And there's the bad guy, and it's very hard to change that 
that mindset, especially for TV where everything is very fast, it's done, they don't have much time to do anything. There's no time to sit around going, hey, maybe we could try this or that. It's like, oh, we gotta do this, this, and this. You know, it does, uh, I don't wanna say irritate, but it does get a little old. But on the other hand, I go, you know what? <clears throat> I'm basically a gun for hire. I was hired to do this part and that's what I'm here to do. And I'm gonna do it if they want this sort of cardboard villain well, I'll just do the best I can to make this cardboard villain, uh, you know, as real and as exciting as uh, whatever it is as possible within the limitations. So on that sense, think of myself as, like I say, just the gun for hire. Uh, that's what I'm here to do. And um, if that's why they hired me, that's great. That's what I'm going to do. And all this other stuff, I'll keep trying, but uh, I have to say, hey, you know, it's gotten a lot, you know, the, the, the pace is, is, I mean, to say snail-like is, is an understatement because it's so slow, the change in the past 30, 35 years that I've been doing this, of the, the thought process behind it and, uh, you know, the, the, the way of, of thinking for everybody, uh, is very, very slow because the the industry is, everybody is, plays it as safe as possible. There's, there's very little, it's very rare that somebody's gonna go, hey, you know, let's, let's take a chance and let's, let's do it differently this way. Because that looks like, it's almost just like everybody's job is always on the line and they have to stick to this certain formula, otherwise, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna lose their jobs, right? If I, uh, same for me as the actor, I go, hey, this is what they want. You know, I can either say, hey, this is stupid and not do the job, or I can say, hey, this is what it is and I'm just gonna do the best I can. Of course, there's a line that I'm not, I'm not gonna cross, you know, if it's, if the character is obviously racist or obviously just, you know, offensive and things like that, then I, then I would say, I wouldn't, you know, don't hire me. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of other people you can hire that will do that. And it, like I say, it's slow, but it has changed a lot. Used to, when I started out, 1980-45, not that many people on TV that look like me. Now I turn on TV, uh, there's, a, there's a gazillion channels, there's a gazillion streaming services, there's a gazillion different types of shows from all over the world, and there's a ton more people that look like me, and and I see the the, pro, the progress, and uh, it, it's you know it's very heartening to see that it's not by any means perfect, but um, it, it feels like um, it's it's on its way. Um, it's had some very some false starts for me anyway, in the last, whatever, 30 years, where there were some points where I go, hey, wow, uh, it feels like now there's more chance, opportunity, there's more chances for actors of color, more stories, and then it sort of peters out and we sort of go back to the way it was for a while. Then it starts up again, then it peters out and goes back. It has started up again. I think this time it's, it feels, at least for me, very optimistic that it's gonna 
it's not going to fall back to to the old ways. There, there aren't going to be any more, you know, or, or very few, I would say, Chinatown episodes where, where you come in and you have to speak. Well, and it doesn't seem like the Asian American actors and other culture actors, like Mexican Americans and, mm-hmm. you know, people like that are getting used the same way that they were used in, say, the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll use MASH as an example. Right. Um, set in Korea. Mm-hmm. Tons of opportunity for right. Asian American actors. Right. The late Mako mm-hmm. was used numerous times with different roles. Right. right. There was another gentleman, and I, I can't think of his name right now, I know his face. He played, I think, 10 different characters Mm -hmm. on different episodes. And they they just, like, completely ignored the fact that, you know, it's, oh, no, that's the same actor, just different roles. It's like, that could have went to anybody, you know? I mean, they just had, it's like, they were the token Asians, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's weird looking back at that now that that was the norm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it applies also in a, in a broader sense that not just for minority actors where you go, you know, um, it's like once your face or, or you do a project or something and it gets, uh, you know, you get a little bit more known. It's like, Okay, let's pick an example of, of say an Asian American actor gets a little uh, gets it on a show or something on a film that's uh, uh, that's become a big hit and he becomes uh, well known. Well, <clears throat> from that point, every other thing that is uh, is an Asian uh, role, they're gonna go, hey, let's get that guy. Hey, you know, that's the first choice. They'll, they'll that's the first thing that comes to their mind because. That's who they know, and that does that applies to not just uh, actors of color, but any actor, right? You get a little known, and 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 you want to get you get you get hot, they say, and so producers always think just oh hey, you know let's get that guy. People know him. When there's like ten other people, who you know who are just as good, who are just as well known, or whatever, but it's it's the moment where you go hey let's get that guy. I think that was the, the one of the things about the like when you say like mash right. There was a there were very there, at that point also there were very few Asian American actors who were sort of known at least to the producers or or were seen by the public, so the producers will go you know what, let's get that guy because that's that's the only person they know, or let's get that that actress because that's the only actress they know, that's the only Asian American actress they know so that's it's just like, they let's give them all the roles, and everybody else sort of has to find that project that gets them the notoriety and then the producers go oh wait a minute there's this person you know it, for for them uh it's very like i say an industry where where if you're lucky it's artistically very fulfilling but at the same time it's just it's not it's it's about the money and it's about who is known you know a producer is going to go it's not usually not going to go you know Let's find the perfect person for this role. They'll just go, hey, who's who's known? 
Who's, uh, who's the draw? Who's the draw, right? And these days, I mean, there's this whole thing about uh, who, you know, who, for social media, like who has the who has the most uh, followers. That means they're popular, so let's cast that person as opposed to this person who has, you know, 10,000 less followers or whatever, right? And you, and that, that kind of stuff, uh, to me, is, is uh, I, I don't get it, but that's that's the business, I guess. So that's right? the way the business has progressed. Yeah. Doesn't make a whole <laughs> lot of sense. Yeah. So let's move into Shredder territory. How did you... Uh... How'd that role come about? Um, actually, basically uh, the same as most of my other stuff. Uh, my friend, um, I've known him for years, uh, the original Shredder, James Saito, uh, did the movie. It was great. And then I think, um, as, I, as I heard it, the movie was basically supposed to be for kids. But as I heard it, the, uh, the first movie... A lot of people thought it was too violent and a little too, I guess, too dark. I don't know. So they, I think they decided to just redo the whole thing and make it more, more kid friendly and more and not as 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 dark as before. So for whatever reason, they recast the whole thing. So the the casting notice went out. I went in. I auditioned with a bunch of other guys, um, and. You know, for, again, for whatever reason, uh, I was lucky enough to, to get the job. So, um, yeah, that that's 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 about the gist of it. Not not very uh, romantic or, or <laughs> <laughs> interesting, but I got lucky. That was about it. <laughs> so no romanticism, no. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I didn't step on the in in front of the camera and the people that said, "Oh my God, that's him. We got to get him." <laughs> Kind of thing. Was there any like sense of wonderment to putting on that? Because at that point, you know, the first movie had been a hit. The cartoons right. been out for a while. The comics have been out for a while. Yeah. Uh, putting on that like iconic helmet and cape, mm -hmm. and I mean, just stepping into that like iconic costume at that point. Well, uh, yeah, it was. Uh... You know, I, at that point, I know, I mean, the first movie was a big hit, but it wasn't, uh, I don't know if it was like, you know, oh my God, this is going to be, I got to take over this part where I have to do, I have to, the pressure, I didn't feel that much, that, that pressure. Uh, again, I just felt, hey, you know, I felt very lucky to get the job and I thought, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go and uh when I got to, uh, I think we filmed it in, in uh, North Carolina. When I got there and I got to the set and started doing the wardrobe uh, fittings and stuff. Uh, yeah, it did feel a little like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be, you know, uh, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty fun. This is going to be a lot of, uh, it's going to be uh, kind of a big deal, as it were. Uh, I was a little disappointed because I didn't realize that the, the second movie was going to be, uh, I, mean, I guess, a little more cartoony. I was like, hey, I'm going to be the Shredder. It's going to be fun to get to jump around and, you know, do some fight scenes and do some martial arts and this and that. And it turns out 
they didn't, you know, the Shredder in the second movie basically just kind of stood around looking badass in his cape and ordering people to jump around <laughs> and didn't get to do any of the other stuff. I don't jump. I tell others to jump for me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. How does it work having, like, what, because I know they had somebody else do the Shredder's voice. What's the, uh, like, were you still reading lines at that point, then they just dub over it? Or what was the process for that? Yeah. Uh, when I was doing it, <clears throat> I mean, I was, I, I was full out of, you know, I was mic'd and everything. And I've full out did the lines in my, in the, in what I thought would have been, you know, my shredder voice. Um, but the, the, the actor, the voice actor who did the first, the voice for the first movie, I guess, contractually was, you know, had to do the second movie. Um, so all my, all my, you know, my grunting and my, you know, they're babies kind of thing didn't survive. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, the, the, whoever did the voice sounded pretty good. <laughs> well, and you, you watch the movie, it's you. I mean, it might not be your voice, but you're Shredder. I yeah, mean, yeah. Can't take it away from you. Hey, I mean, I did get to be in the same makeup room as Vanilla Ice, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hang out with the uh, originator of the turtle rap. Yeah, yeah. So overall, what was working on Turtles like? I mean, you had the, you know, these guys and these massive costumes and, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know. I mean, everything just larger than life. Um, you know, it's, uh, on the one hand, I would say, uh, especially as a, as a big, you know, I, I'm not only a big sci-fi nerd, but I'm a big comics nerd, right? So I love anything to do with, with I, you know, I used to read all the DC comics, all the Marvel comics, everything. Uh, so uh, that was fun to do, uh, something like that. And, um, you know, it's almost like uh, I don't want to shatter people's mind of how how wonderful and glamorous movie making is. On one hand, it is very, very glamorous and, and exciting to be a part of because I love to be on the set and I'm sitting around and go, oh, my God, I'm, a, you know. I'm making a movie and, and this is, this is, you know, this is a dream come true kind of thing. Uh, and on the other hand, it's kind of like, Hey, this is just like my other movie job where I'm doing something else, but now I have a big metal helmet on my head kind of thing. <laughs> I'm playing another Asian, but yeah, this making, time I'm in a tin can. Yeah. The, uh, the making of it is, uh, is a lot of work. For me, the work is incredibly fun to do. I, I don't even consider it work, but you know, you're 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 there on the set. You know, sometimes uh, 14, 15 hours, and uh, a lot of it is you're waiting around. People are, they're setting up the shot, they're setting up the lights. You got to keep yourself kind of you know you don't want to like shoot your wad in the first two hours and then have no energy for the rest of the, of the time. So you got to pace yourself and you got to think of all these different things. And, 
you know, it's just a lot of all different things uh, coming together. Um, and it's, uh, it's hard to describe uh, making, making a movie because uh, if you're not in the business, uh, a lot of people think, oh, this is, you know, it's, it's easy, it's great, all you got to do is show up and you're doing this and this. And um, sometimes it is. Other times you're just there and you know it's you're you're on the beach and it's it's like 40 degrees and you're standing there it, it, just in, in your swimsuit and it's supposed to be this tropical you know paradise kind of thing and uh as soon as they say cut you just you're like you run and you you, you know you grab your blanket or something uh what they see on the screen is like oh my god they're having so much fun on the beach and uh and what and they don't see life, you're is, freezing your balls is, is off. The, yeah, it's the, you know you you seeing how they make the sausage. That's <laughs> where. So before we wrap this up, I'm going to bring back a question I haven't asked anyone in a while. Uh, do you have a dream role that you would like to take on before you retire from acting? Um, <clears throat> the short answer is no because I don't really know, uh, let's say right now, I've gotten to do my dream role, which is Walter uh, from The Tick. And I would do that, boy, I would do that for the next whatever, 10 years, 15 years if I could, uh, so far. So who knows what's on the horizon? Something else would come up where I go, oh my God, this is the dream role I've been waiting for. Um, I, 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 in terms of roles like that's been done, you know, I don't really have anything that I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd like to give, take a shot at uh, that other people have done. So uh, I guess the answer to the question is, um, for right now, Walter. But I'm open to whatever comes up after that because you never know. You never know. Things change, and uh, I mean, there's there's a role out there somewhere. I just got to be ready for it, I guess. Awesome. So I know everything's been kind of locked down due to COVID and everything, but do you have any upcoming projects that you have coming out or just been kind of shelved? You know, right now, actually, I've done a lot more uh, voice work voiceover work um, than I have before. And um, I finished a PlayStation game called Ghost of Tsushima that came out. Uh, and I guess I haven't played it, but it, it's a big uh, it's a big hit from what I hear. And uh, I'm working on another uh, game. And I sign an NDA, so... That's as much as I can tell anybody. <laughs> on a game, then there's the NDA. You'll find yeah. out what that game is eventually. <laughs> eventually. Uh, it's uh, it, it's weird, you know. The, uh, recently, I guess not recently, but even starting with, uh, with Lost when I was doing it, you know, I didn't have to sign an NDA, but everything was very, very, the security was like, you know, it's like working for the CIA, man. It's so tight and... Everything was, was, you know, no one was, uh, they didn't want things leaked out. And, and I would get, uh, you know, I would get the call sheet for the, for the day I'm working, which is 
list of you know what's going to be happening that day and who's working and so forth and the characters and they would have different different names for the characters fake names and fake things on it so that <laughs> you go wait a minute who's this i don't know this person why am i call this person uh the red so that uh, if it ever gets out the you know that kind of stuff so now in this days the nda is you know that's the first thing they ask you hey you got to sign this nda before you even come into you know to meet with me kind of thing so it's the nda's time to shine yeah yeah but you know it's amazing still stuff still gets you know gets out there yeah it's weird, so fast isn't it so fast you know you, you go on twitter or you click on youtube or something and already it's got somebody's you know giving you all the info on stuff. Say, someone's got the inside scoop yeah yeah so where can my uh, listeners kind of catch up with you and keep up with everything that you got going on? Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not a big, uh, social media guy. I am on Twitter. Uh, but I usually don't, uh, post stuff unless there's a project out or I have some, you know, I, I reply to somebody, uh, I'm at, at Francois Chow on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook. But I'm also one of those, uh, I think there's probably a name for it, one of those people who I never post anything. I mean, rarely will I post stuff. Uh, I'm always there scrolling through stuff going, hey, this is interesting. Hey, that's, uh, wow, oh, I haven't seen that person in a while kind of stuff. But uh, I'm, like a, I'm like a stalker on Facebook or something, I guess, where you, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I'm a little better on Twitter, but th those are the only two things on social media that uh, that I'm on. And uh, my friends, my wife is always telling me, "Man, you gotta, you gotta post this. You gotta put yourself out there. Make your, you know, let people know your your." But I think it's it's a matter of uh, there's a type of person who's very comfortable posting all this whatever they're doing, and and then there's me who's like, uh, you know, who the hell wants to know what I'm, you know. I'm, I'm not going to post like, hey, I'm at Starbucks getting a coffee right now. I hope everybody's having fun <laughs> kind of thing. So uh, but once in a while, you'll see me out there. And listeners, you, I'll make sure those links are in the episode description so they're easy to find. Yeah. And you guys can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc., Francois, it was great chatting with you today. Thank you. It was, it was a lot of fun chatting with you too. Do this again sometime when you're uh, when that game comes out and sit down again in the future and just bull spit some more. Anytime, anytime. Happy to do it. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. Sometimes oh, no, I, it, it's yeah. great. I, I love <laughs> stories. Stories are the reason I do this. Yeah. All right. Well, stay safe. There's a lot of great podcasts out there, guys. And if you didn't hear it here, it's probably just a load of bull spit. Till next time, take it easy. Ooh-wee, that sure was some bull spit, but I sure had fun. Junior, you need some help. Be sure to tune in next time. 